Thanks for tuning in to PLR Podcast. We are back this week in the turtle shell. Uh, we have a new microphone that we're trying out, one that is circular, so it captures all of us equally. I hope. That is the hope, at least. Uh, I want to say thank you for people who came out to the movie showing at Red Ink that we did last night. It was a lot of fun, and the, the input that people had, or the ideas, the scenes, the takeaways from the Soviet film... The circus were really thought-provoking and interesting, and we hope to do it again. And if you have movie recommendations or something you want to watch, feel free to just send them to us, and, and we can make it happen. Uh, as always, if you like what you hear and you want to support what we do, then consider becoming a patron on Patreon, and 80% of that money goes toward the mutual aid organizations and outreaches that we have on the show and this episode, we have the John Brown Gun Club on. So, I mean, if you haven't heard of the John Brown Gun Club, then do you even know Rhode Island Providence Mutual Aid? Uh, so listen to them, listen to the interview at the end, and enjoy it. But I wanted to start this episode off by addressing my recent comments on Matt Brown and the Rhode Island Political Co-op's recent announcement uh, because my comments seem to incur a lot of misunderstanding and wrath from, quote, progressive Rhode Islanders. And I purposely put progressive in quotation marks because I don't fully believe that progressives even necessarily know what they stand for in any systemic, theoretical way. And I believe that I owe them, those people on Twitter, and also Andy and Evan, who represent this podcast as much as I do, some kind of clarification. And before I begin, I do want to say that none of us here at the podcast endorse any of these politicians. We're not working for Luis Munoz, nor are we working for any of the politicians that we're actually kind of friends with. We believe, in general, that American electoralism is a joke, and that the infighting that my comments were able to incite just through asking for accountability and clarity reflects this joke, this hypocrisy of American progressive electoralism. That doesn't mean we don't appreciate the work that some of our friends are doing in the Rhode Island State House, but we see it as half measures at best. I think people can go into politics with good intentions, but are, can be uh, unconsciously corrupted by the internal pressures of the system itself. Uh, for, some, for anyone who doesn't know, Matt Brown and 50 other candidates just announced a cooperative campaign uh, with Brown on the governor's ticket and Cynthia Mendez on uh, the lieutenant governor's ticket. To make the announcement, he released a short video that has shots of some of the key running mates, uh, two mentions, I think, of the word revolution. Hmm. Uh, and to top it all off, he makes this quote, you know, the music stops. It's one of those, like, big moments where he says, we're going to take the whole fucking state house. Uh, probably trying to convey that, like, Trump-like attitude uh, of, like, I say what I want. I'm a real genuine guy. Brown and Cynthia Mendez's campaign is premised on its promotion as a, quote, progressive coalition which to me at least implies that a vote for one is a vote for everyone in the co-op, in the coalition itself. This kind of coalition electoralism is powerful and potentially inspirational. Don't get me wrong about that. And I'm glad to see familiar faces in the coalition as well. Uh, however, there's a slight problem with Matt Brown's bid to be the head of this progressive coalition. 
And I'm not even talking here about the governor. Like, forget about the governor's race. In April of 2021, Dr. Luis Daniel Munoz announced that he is going to run as a Democrat to be the progressive candidate for Rhode Island's governor race. It's impossible for us or for anyone right now to quantify how many people back Munoz, but he has gotten several endorsements since April. Whether or not we believe his credentials as a progressive doesn't matter, so long as he's claiming to be one and convincing people that he is one. So the original statement that kicked off this hailstorm of backlash was this verbatim. I said, I think Matt Brown does owe it to Munoz to explain why he's being wedged out as a candidate. From an outsider's perspective, which we all are, uh, it does kind of seem opportunistic and racist. The excuses I'm hearing are bogus and voters demand a direct answer. I added, if you choose to run a campaign without confronting another progressive, you're not better than any other Democrat. Progressives are supposed to be, according to your own rhetoric, about bridge building, I thought, not ghosting each other. These quotes received a number of accusations of everything from one, I'm unfairly emphasizing race, uh, which is ignoring the fact that I did qualify the words by saying kind of seems, Two, Matt Brown doesn't owe me anything, but to be frank, as a potential voter, he actually does owe me something. And three, uh, that this is the regular electoral process. And this is a fact that is actually contradicted by coalition members themselves when they emphasize the, quote, uniqueness of this coalition, right? You're saying that this isn't a normal electoral event. The coalition is new. But anyway, allow me to briefly clarify by picking apart these lines of the tweet. One, so far as Matt Brown is promoting himself as a leader of a progressive statewide coalition, he is making a bid to be the leader of Rhode Island's progressives. That means he is necessarily pushing Munoz aside in his own attempt, thereby wedging him out. By saying that if you vote for these 50 coalition members that are the progressive ticket, that's a vote for me, not for Munoz. This is not the same as Bernie Sanders versus Elizabeth Warren, which some people have also brought up to me. Because unlike that feud, Brown and Munoz are claiming to be of the same political ideology. They're both trying to advance themselves as the leaders of Rhode Island's progressives. Whereas Elizabeth Warren was very much a capitalist, and Bernie Sanders also a capitalist, but at least willing to say, willing to add socialism to his uh, list of, of uh, political affiliations. I believe that insofar as you're striving to create a coalition, you do owe it to the other candidate and his people to explain why you offer something better, why you're more likely to win, whatever it is. Without making that explanation, we as outsiders see nothing but a flashy video in which you showcase a team of 50 junior politicians who will do your bidding and come to your defense for their own electoral interests you have essentially weaponized well-intentioned political upstarts. This is what I meant by opportunism, using the youth and energy of junior politicians to promote yourself. In that sense, not recognizing or even acknowledging Munoz as a progressive ally will come across as racist to his supporters, who are predominantly people of color. As a white man running against a progressive person of color, you do owe it to him and his supporters to try to convince them to switch, not least of all because identity plays a major role in the liberal side of progressive politics. 
Without Munoz voters, you can't hope to win at all. If you're billing your run as a progressive coalition candidate, and doing so requires you to run against another person claiming to be progressive, then you have to address it head on because otherwise it seems like you're trying uh, less to form an actual coalition and more like you're trying to form your own coalition. This is opportunism. You can't be like, I'm trying to build a movement of progressives that is premised on running opposed to another progressive. Wouldn't an actual coalition-making thing to do be to reach out to the other candidate and try to work together? Or to provide his supporters with a reason why you're a more valid candidate or that you're more likely to win from the get-go? Shouldn't your campaign announcement video have at least acknowledged the fact that you are uh, running a campaign opposed to another progressive? And let me tell you something about revolution. A revolution requires not just rhetoric uh, or a willingness to use vulgarity on camera and the same electioneering tactics that we've all seen over and over again. It requires revolutionary politics that transcend what we've seen before. A revolution is also antithetical to elect electoral politics. Just to drive this hypocrisy of the entire movement home, before any criticism, I tweeted on behalf of all of us at PLR Podcast that we would not fail to hold these co-op candidates to the same standard and criticism that we give any other politicians. And so many of these co-op politicians responded and liked that post saying things like, uh, good, I hope so, and uh, please do. But then when I actually do give some criticism or backlash, I get these vitriol accusations that are just misrepresenting everything I said. This is hypocrisy because you don't actually stand for open criticism, but believe more in bandwagonism. And this is the danger of electoral politics themselves that liberals take advantage of. If you don't believe me, just look at what happened with AOC and that recent bandwagonism. How did that turn out for you? I want to stop this rant by saying that, in my view, and in the view of communists throughout history, or anarchists, or whoever you are, leftists, uh, self-criticism and criticism of each other has been an integral part of building a strong leftist movement. Criticism is to radical politics what the peer review process is to academia. It's not a blanket condemnation of a comrade, but rather an invitation for them to improve, to essentially level up. And that is the end of my rant, and I hope that everybody understands my point of view on that. Today on Twitter Notes. Today on Twitter Notes. No. Uh, speaking of progressive versus progressive um, drama with this whole situation, Brandon Potter released uh, an, an article on uh, the Boston Globe, right? Wasn't that what it was? Yep. And uh, it kind of read like a hit piece. It was kind of salty. He was talking about how he was kicked out, and uh, he believes that the financial situation in the, uh, the Rhode Island uh, political cooperative is opaque. He used the word opaque a few times. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is a honest criticism of the party, because, you know, he did get booted out the door, um, or if uh, what his motivations were really. But I think it would be a really good thing for the cooperative to counter that article and kind of yeah. vindicate themselves from his accusations. His accusations are pretty vague. But um, if the cooperative comes out and says, hey, this is why we did it, this is why he feels that way, 
we're still sticking to our guns, so to speak, on all the issues that we hold dear, and we're in solidarity with each other, people will read that and be like, you know what? Fuck yeah. You know, I see why they did it. I see your side. That's all. We're just asking for clarity is what I think that you're doing. Looking yeah, for clarity basically. And uh, looking to use valid criticism for politicians that make all these promises to people. Right. Uh yeah, asking for clarity and like a lot of the a lot of the initial responses I got, even from people that I trust on a personal level, were like, "He just announced, give him time, he'll he'll address it." And it's like, it's been a week now since he's announced. I've been tagging him on Twitter a lot because I personally want to hear from him. And you know, you're making excuses and saying, "Oh, maybe he's not on Twitter a lot, or maybe he's just uh, he's doing a lot of fundraising things and yada yada." But like. This is a fundamental problem with the campaign you're trying to run that, that has emerged immediately when you put that video out. That because of your mistakes that Brandon blames him for or that I'm saying that you have to account for, uh, in order to court the progressive vote that you need to actually win, you have to address these and you have to address them head on. The difference is that with me, I'm probably more willing to more receptive to hearing and, and, you know, believing his argument if he makes one against Munoz. But what I also got in trouble because I was asking for people to provide substantive critique of Munoz because most people will say things like, he's not really a progressive. And it's like, how? Tell me what? Like, give me some kind of basis instead of just saying, Joe Biden sucks. That's not a critique. It's true, but it's not a criticism, right? I want, I want some, some substance to it. Uh, and they don't. There's no substance being provided. And I keep getting responses that are like, oh, just wait, because uh, Matt Brown will update their campaign website. And it's like, I don't think he has time to wait. I think you got to get these things out now. Yeah, their site's down, unfortunately. But I'm sure that'll be fixed as we get closer to, you know, to everything. They should do it anyway. What do you think, Evan? Yeah, I, I exactly like you said. I don't have time to wait. Stop telling people to wait. We don't have time. Things are bad. People are dying. Yeah, people are always dying. <laughs> well, I'm gonna make a sticker, a PLR sticker, a bumper sticker that just says "People are dying" in really big letters. And meat pies. I fucking love meat pies. Anyway, I gotta say there are some things about the Rhode Island Political Cooperative that I I do like. Um, like they have agreed not to accept corporate sponsorship or from uh, PACs or from fossil fuel companies. That is cool. That's cool. Um, I like that it's composed of school teachers, retail workers, real wage earners like the rest of us. Um, I like that they're focused on uh, the environment and ending mass incarceration, specifically uh, pointing their crosshairs over at the wide detention facility. I keep making all these gun analogies. We talked to the John Brown Club. Uh, John so Brown Gun Club. So that's why guns are on my mind right now. I apologize. Um they want single-payer health care. You know, they're focused on the school system, of course. But um, the bottom line is that these are all progressive Democrats. This is a capitalist bourgeois party. Um, they're still part of the Democratic Party. Uh, this is a way for capitalism to fix its own problems that we all know as Marxists and socialists and anarchists that are inherent to the capitalist system. Things like artificial scarcity... Things like um, having your house used as a, a threat that if you don't work in this system, you will be unhoused. Um, 
the way education is kept uh, from people. All these little contradictions that we have in our society that make it so shitty, they're intrinsic to the process. The, at the end of the day, wage earners like us have to be held to a responsibility to work for our own survival by creating artificial scarcity of like food, not giving us food, mm-hmm. health care, not giving us health care, not giving us free housing. So the problems that these progressives seek to fix are inherent in capitalism. So no matter how many times we try to smooth this over, it's not going to be successful like the way we want. Okay. Also, um, besides the, uh, the uphill battle that is trying to fix capitalism with capitalism, um, I don't think the electoral process would work in America. Some people say the electoralism works in other countries, and you know what? Sometimes it does. Um, in Latin America um, and in other places of the world, um, they have used electoralism um, for victory, but they're much different than we are. Uh, one, there were colonized countries that they booted out their um, oppressors, and they have a sense of solidarity within the people in that respect, and also they have an economic solidarity. Uh, for example, Bolivia held a general strike when they weren't happy with the coup that took over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, India, another colonized country, um, also held a general strike. Those countries, regardless of their individual uh, political ideologies understand that they are all workers, that they all have the same life structure. Um, They understand in the capitalist hierarchy uh, what their role is and also the power that that role holds. So I think that electoralism is effective only when there is a legitimate threat of violence behind it. Electoralism is the olive branch to, you know, uh, the knife edge, I guess. So, like another gun reference. I almost did. I almost <laughs> said the barrel. Um, like uh, Mao says, you have to um, use the gun to be able to put the gun down, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that um, electoralism, when it's defanged, like it is in America, because they know the people don't have any kind of solidarity with each other, I don't see it as useful. Right. Um, do I want to believe that this um, Rhode Island political cooperative is going to do great things? Of course I do. Um, do I like that they're made up of working-class people? Of course I do. Um, Do I appreciate that they're going to try to keep themselves from corruption? Of course. However, uh, I believe that even if all these progressive politicians work successful at 100% of everything they do, life would be fantastic for everybody in America or Rhode Island to make a smaller photo, but life would still suck for everybody outside of this country. Our responsibility is not only Mm -hmm. to the people within our borders, but also the ethical treatment of all all the arms of industry that our, that our country touches, everything from Africa to Latin America to other countries. So progressive politics is just a way for us to sleep you know, a little better knowing that people in America are um, happier and taken care of with health care, but it does nothing to solve the larger issue of global capitalism and all the problems that come with that. So I will uh, probably vote for one of these candidates in their election, and I will keep a very close eye on uh, what they're doing and what they're saying and where the money's coming from and uh, where they're showing up and where they're fundraising. Um, And the only way they're going to be successful is if people like all of us and you listening gain, you know, and foster class consciousness among everyone that we know, spread the idea so that we can have a larger body of power to fight in case electoralism doesn't work. And I don't think it will. But we need to be critical, 
and we need to make sure that we um, we stay true to our ideals. And uh, the revolution is not a dinner party or a Met Gala event. So it's not getting coffee with your lieutenant governor to be. Uh, that that's sort of why I put progressive in quotes too, because progressivism in and of itself means nothing. It's an empty populist phrase that is just referring to the idea of progress. Whose progress? Who determines that progress? What progress? What does it look like? It's up for debate. It is a populist thing. So when people call themselves progressives, I'm like, well, does that still mean that you think capitalism is salvageable and that and that the, the way of actually uh, combating something like climate change is through commodifying green energy rather than seeking to uh, rather than seeking to change the social relationship that we have to nature, right? It's not enough to invent, invent a technology that can sequester carbon from the atmosphere and then be like, oh, we solved it, hands full. You have to actually change the way that we think about nature and the natural world. Otherwise, we're going to keep hitting those planetary boundaries until the world implodes, whether it's through nuclear power, whatever it is. <laughs> did you, uh, I think I talked to you about this, Evan, did you see the, um, the invention of a new carbon sequestering plant? The largest in the world was just built, and they think that in one year it can take three seconds worth of carbon out of the atmosphere. Ooh, three whole seconds? Three whole seconds. Wow. So you can imagine the, uh, and that's the largest and most, you know, effective that we have going, so. We did it, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> but you also have, like, the commodification of these mitigating responses, like carbon sequestration. So, like, that factory does not run because the owner of the factory is benevolent. They're being paid. They're being subsidized by the state. And so... The whole, that's the whole problem with the Green New Deal, in my opinion. Like, great, you want to transition us from fossil fuels to, to, like, renewable energies? Awesome. But can we get rid of capitalism along the way? Because mm-hmm. we're just going to keep hitting those mm-hmm. planetary boundaries unless we start to think of our place in this world differently. Less, less like we're commodifying nature and yes. more like we actually live in equilibrium with nature. We also need to remember that even though we're going to green energy, it doesn't mean that um, everything that we do to get to green energy is going to be ethical. For example, in, um, in Africa, the largest bank in South Africa just came out with a comment saying that they refuse to finance any more coal mines in Africa, which sounds fantastic. No more coal mines, that's bad energy. Mining in Africa is usually an extremely exploitive process, and uh, the people that do the work usually don't get any kind of revenue back from that. Um, but what they didn't say, it was this was in a different article, that the uh, the amount of uranium mining in Africa is going to go through the fucking roof for uh, new nuclear power plants and other quote unquote green energy. We talk about batteries for um, uh, electronic or electric vehicles and that kind of thing. that need lithium. It's got to come out of the ground. It's got to come from lithium mines. A lot of those lithium mines are in third world quote unquote third world countries. Um, so. Not only do we have to take care of the environment, but we have to do it in a way that's ethical to the people that live in the environment that we're taking these resources from. Um, so just saying Green New, Green New Deal and, you know, using capitalist industries to get there, using that as, like, the means to the end, which is the, a greener, um, uh, a greener I, don't, I guess, world, mm-hmm. um, by relying on capitalism to do that, is saying that you're going to do it with exploitation and doing harm to other people. 
So it's not ethical. And uh, we need to remember that, you know, there, there are so many details and nuances to what's happening and everything that we plan on doing. And it goes beyond our, uh, our little sheet that we fill out when we vote. Yeah. Well put. This has been a <laughs> substantive critique, I think, of the whole thing, rather than just saying capitalism sucks. Right? We've actually right. described why. Um, so, Matt Brown, tell me why you are better than Dr. Luis Munoz. Luis Daniel Munoz. Evan, what else is going on this week? Uh, on a very personal level, I have just finished my first official full work week, like 40 plus hours of work, uh, in over 600 days since I first became sick and had to take uh, my leave of absence and relearn how to be a human. Um, it's really hard, you guys. Working <laughs> working full-time is really That's difficult. That's a long I, time off. I don't oh know if God. you knew that. Well, and, and I, mean, I mean official. Like, yeah. I, I was, I've been working part-time, but this is my first, uh, and I've been getting, you know, getting stuff done. Yeah. But this is my first time teaching five days a week, full days, since my illness. Um, I'm Are at the these... kids wearing masks? Oh, yeah. Okay. Everybody's wearing a mask. I, in fact, uh, the principal came in the other day and watched me while I was teaching a lesson, and my mask was a little bit askew. She was like, Miss Andrews, mask! And I was like, oh my god, I'm sorry! Hell yeah. <laughs> it's bad, setting a bad example for the children. But um, I think the hardest part for me right now is that I don't have any friends there. Um, like, any adult friends. Everybody, you know, we, we say hi to each other in the hallway. Um, I... Am a little bit recognizable because I either use a cane or a wheelchair, so uh, they know who I am based on that, and so they know that I'm like that new art. So the context can be provided. I'm that new art teacher. I'm the one with the disabilities. I'm the one who like nobody can really figure out. Like sometimes they use they them pronouns even though I haven't come out to anybody. Sometimes they like just infer that that's what I want or they're so mysterious. I have I'm apparently very mysterious, but. I don't want that to stop people from being my friend because you need to have friends at work to make things more, like, tolerable. Um, but when you're, like, a younger uh, gender-divergent and disabled and neurodivergent uh, person uh, who's also, like, a radical left, like, an openly radical leftist, like, how do you make friends with other teachers? A lot of these people are, like, you know, like... 50-year-old white ladies who have been teaching there for as long as I've been alive. And I don't know how to talk to them or relate to them. But there are a lot of young people, too, who are, like, fresh out of school. We've all got that, like, fresh-squeezed idealism. Like, we all want to change the world and, like, really help people and stuff. I did see somebody's car in the parking lot did have a sticker that said, Eat the Rich. And I would like to find out who that person (laughs) is and see if they want to have lunch with me. Rich people lunch. See if they want to eat the rich for lunch with me, um, but yeah, I don't know how to. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to introduce myself or be like, "Hey, I, I saw a person. I saw a coworker at an event, like the kind of event that we would go to, and we recognize that it was us, and we now see each other all the time. We say hi. Why do I not have the courage to be like, "Hello, person. Will you be my friend?" Invite them to another event if there's a, if there's one that's uh, oh that's a parallel duh. To that. yeah 
duh, I should invite, I mean, I gave them a sticker, told them about the podcast, but yeah, I need to be like, hey, you should come to this thing. But it's like, it also feels like I'm hitting on them almost. And so there's, and like, they're cute and I would, but I'm not. And it's like, I... As long as you don't wink when you invite them, I think you're okay. I am incapable of winking. It looks so (laughs) stupid. Ask Alex. Alex is really good at winking. I'm really bad at it. Yeah. Alex will make you feel something when he winks at you. It's true. He does it by accident. He gets, uh... Get some trouble for it. Yeah, it's been known in the past. Mm, no, I can't do it. But I, do, yeah, it, it like. That's it, and that's another thing. It's like when you when you're trying to hit on someone, there's like that little weird like, is this is this a date? Are we flirting? What's going on? But then there's a no. I'm just trying to be your friend side of it too. So it's I don't know. I don't know how to be. I don't know how to be a person. We've lost all our social skills over the last yes. year and a half. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I feel like even before the pandemic, it was hard for me to engage in conversation with people that I didn't already know. I'm lucky to a certain extent that all the friends that I see on a weekly basis are people I've known since elementary or middle school. But, like, meeting new people is excessively hard because there's so much going on in our individual lives that it feels like by... 31 or 32 or 35 you're sort of like there's way too much i have to catch you up on like for, for, real. Yeah, for you to become <laughs> for real like there's like i feel like i feel like there's a questionnaire that i have to like pass out to potential friends it's yeah. like how do you feel about black there's... lives matter um you know what do you think about uh like the overdose situation uh you know are you now or have you ever been a supporter of Whatever. Honestly. Kanye West. (laughs) At my old job, um, there was a lot of Republicans and Trump voters, and I would do my best to just first not explode when I heard them talking, (laughs) and then I lost my patience, and then I would just introduce myself in conversation and just critiquing. I actually got pretty... uh, I didn't think I was being aggressive, but I think that when they expect everybody to agree with them... Having someone come in that challenges them and ask them for specific things that what they're talking about, mm-hmm. it's, I'm no Socrates, but when people actually start thinking about the things that they believe, they, it tends to unravel, and that either leads to them becoming a little more knowledgeable about what they're talking about, or it leads to a reaction that makes them hate you. Mm-hmm. At my work now, um, it's kind of a different environment. There's a lot of people who are... Uh, well, let me explain it this way. My company is used to be a company that made machines that make machines and are one of the largest groups uh, that are largest companies that we del- that we delivered those machines to was in China. So they would send over um, like five or six people to China to build these machines that made machines and their plants. And when they were over there, they got to see how uh, people in China lived. They got to see how early they got to retire and stuff like that. So they saw the benefits of socialism in China. Mm-hmm. So when I'm working over there and uh, when I go to work every day, I'll kind of like trade these kind of like stories, not mentioning socialism, but talking about how the policies are so different within the two countries and how life could be better in this country if, you know. And that's kind of like the irony with being a leftist is that you know that if everybody understood what we talked about and why we talk about it and understood that we're here to make all the workers have a place to live, food to eat, education, health care. Uh, we want correct representation. You know, we want 
uh, a country where um, we can live and get what we need ethically from everybody else. I think everybody wants that, besides specific fascist pieces of shit and racists. Um, they can all get the wall. But um, I think everybody, for the most part, agrees with us. It's just that that, uh, that huge wall of ideology that's been built against um, communism and um, during the Cold War and everything, it's so hard to champion. But I, I'm using specific small events to just kind of wedge my way into conversation with these people and not say the, not say the C word or the S word or the M word, but just to, um, you know, just to try to like, come on. I like, I like to do that when I debate like conservatives or Republicans when I was on Facebook. I would just end something by saying, you know, I just want what's best for you. Like, honestly, that's all I really want. I just want you to be happy and have health care and be comfortable. And, like, fuck me if I'm <laughs> bad for wanting that for you. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, but. I don't know. I'm not afraid to talk about communism um, in <laughs> in a professional setting. I think a lot of us are there, like, for the kids and especially with all that's going on in our district right now, we sort of have to be, like, focused on, like, things like equity and um, sort of... Th- so, like, those, like, the themes of a lot of our meetings sort of, like, just naturally uh, intermingle with more, like, leftist ideological things. Um, and I've been able to uh, meet some folks in a professional way uh, and just, like, in meetings, like, people speak up about certain things, and so you find out, like, who's down and who's not, um, and so there, there are good things going on, and I have, like, there are, there are events to go to, I'm on committees now, I'm presenting things, I'm, I'm doing cool stuff with good people, there are really cool people around, I'm just talking about at my actual school, where I am, most of the time, um, often my, like, little wing, of the school. I've had two schools. One of my rooms is in the West Wing and one of my school, one of my classrooms is in a basement. Like, so I don't really see anybody. And so it's really hard. And then also it's a lot of like people from other cultures. And so I don't know how to like, I don't want to be like the white idiot, like inserting myself into their day or anything. Um, I, but, but it is hard to like not have anybody to talk to you need a comrade yeah i just picture this as like kind of a cartoon where it's like you wearing like glasses that have like rainbow lightning bolts that come out of them and a shirt that says i'm gay <laughs> and if there's just like a speech bubble that says like i don't get how people know that I'm they <laughs> <laughs> there are there are t-shirts that say nobody knows i'm gay and i would like to have one but I mean, my room is literally full of rainbows, but also it's an art classroom, and a lot of classrooms have rainbows in them. Rainbows don't really mean anything to kids except, like, yeah. cool. Um, I do have, like, trans pride stuff happening, like, flags and stuff happening in my classroom, um, but... It is excessively hard to make friends as an adult, and, like... <sighs> Yeah, what do we do? Do I, like, write it up, like, write my ideals on my forehead and be like, hey, if you're into this, I feel like we need a um, Tinder for buds, for buddies. The only time that I, like, really experienced it was, is when I'm out with Nora and, like, alone, and there'll be, like, another dad there, and mm-hmm. it's like, man, your kid is the same age as my kid. If we could talk... <laughs> Then maybe we can be friends. I've seen memes about that awkward situation where, like, you're watching your kid play with another kid and you kind of look over at the other parent and you guys 
both just pretend not to look at each other mm-hmm. or like see each other yeah it's particularly hard for mothers i feel like they're maternal figures because there's a lot of judgment that goes back and forth mm. between like oh your kid shouldn't be wearing shorts on this uh hot day or something like that and so like the 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 wrath of parenting makes it another area in which it's hard as an adult to to actually form uh friendships but you know where it is not hard to make enemies is driving in the state of Rhode Island. Dude. Mm. Dude. Road Rage Island. Road Rage Island. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's pretty fucking bad. Yeah. And every state thinks that they have the worst drivers, you know? And Massachusetts obviously has, like, mass holes, like everybody knows. But I have never encountered the kind of animosity that's here anywhere else. So it was it was funny. I used to live in Chicago, and Chicago does have its share of, like, bad, shitty drivers, but at least they keep the windows up when they do it. Like, they'll do something <laughs> and they go. And I remember my partner at the time, uh, a proud Bostonian, would always say, like, I want to move back to Boston because... Drivers here suck and they're too mean. And I was like, Boston's worse. <laughs> and I kept saying this. And then we like went back to Boston to visit family. And I think like a half hour after leaving the airport, this guy just drove by like with his torso out the window. And was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, see, exactly. <laughs> see? Oh I, yeah, people love to yell with their windows down. I see the worst driving probably on the highway. Um, people weaving in and out of traffic just at like uh-huh. insanely high speeds. I almost never yeah. see them coming. I almost get sideswept constantly. Mm-hmm. My my partner actually, I like to drive in the city. I like almost always I'll take their car. If, you know, if we have their car, I'll drive my car. Because they get fucking pissed. Like, I've... They are so patient, so nice. Y'all know them. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, they just, uh, they lose their shit. And it scares the fuck out of me. I'm like, you're stressing me out. You gotta calm the fuck down. And they're, you know, born and raised in Rhode Island. So, yeah, it's it's real. There, I mean, there's, like, every place has kind of, like, its funny little norms. Uh... Like, in New Orleans, if there's no right turn lane, you make your own right turn lane. Like, you have to kind of just take the street, do the thing that you want to do. Even if there's not an opportunity, you just have to seize that opportunity. Here, I've noticed, you know, if you're, like, turning left into oncoming traffic, the people coming straight towards you have the right of way. Mm -hmm. But for some reason here, uh, it's not like that. It's reversed. Like, the people who are turning just, like, go. And you're like, wait a second. No, it was my turn. But nope, not here, not here. They're playing chicken with you. Chicken is a big deal. Um, zipper merging. You guys know what zipper merging yes, is? Yes, of course, yeah. On ramp, off ramp. You give a space in front one of behind, and then you one, zipper and in. One yeah. and then one. And then it makes so much sense to me, but yeah. oh my God, there's certain ramps onto the highway, usually 95, mm-hmm. where people just like don't give a shit. Yeah. They also don't let you in. A lot of people no, don't let don't. you in. If they see you coming on and you want to actually enter like the the exit lane, they'll just they'll pace you the entire way and almost force you to get like either off the road or and yeah. then you know what that does? It makes you into an asshole driver because then you have to cut them off uh-huh. and then it just fucking snowballs. And you know what? Damn it! If I let you in, I want my wave. Mm, yeah. I want my wave. You know what I do? I do the uh, emergency flasher twice for thank you. 
Oh, I do so a truckers do. I do a double tap on the brake so that the red lights go. Beep, beep. So you so you brake check them after they <laughs> let you in. No, it doesn't like actually slow down. I just do the double tap. <laughs> like oh fuck this guy. <laughs> oh, I like to wave. Although sometimes because I have issues with my legs, sometimes I use the cane to do the pedals, and so then like my hands are full and I can't wave. So oh my then god, I just, that's like, terrifying. I just you like really do that? I just like show my teeth. I'm like yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? Big that's smile face. What do you mean? With a, like pushing on the pedals, the cane. Yeah. Holy shit, that's intense. You gotta do what you gotta do. Oh Have you ever God. been like driving and you think that you're just driving normal, and then all of a sudden someone passes you and like flips you off? Yeah. You're like, what did I do? <laughs> the other day, this is what made me want to talk about this because the other day I was uh, on that street. What is it like, John J. Partington or whatever, right by uh, Crossroads, and. That is a place where, like, it's a very sudden merge, but there's also a traffic light right there, um, and so things get held up a little bit, a lot. Um, but I don't, I'm not a, I don't, I don't block the intersection. I don't do that. That is not a thing that's okay with me. It messes everything up, makes things unsafe and really frustrating. Um, so there was no room to move up, and I was at, up at that light, but, and I could have moved up, but I would have been blocking the intersection, so I decided not to, and... All like one person starts honking and then everybody starts honking, <laughs> and then the person who's like flagging, like holding their sign on the side of the road at that point, they start yelling at me to go, um, and then somebody from behind me pulls up next to me and goes, "You want to get smacked?" Oh my god! And I was like, fuck? "No," <laughs> uh, but then this they is absurd. Tr- they tried to speed away, but there was nowhere to go because the traffic was so bad. <laughs> so it was just that I'm like stuck next to this person who just threatened me with violence. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's like Jesus, and it's like almost getting like run over by a cement mixer, and just so many things. There's that damn that Taunton Gano, not Taunton, that um. India Point Gano exit just yeah. sneaks up on you so fast, and everybody's like, Rrr! like everybody is just like it's a really big deal. Got to go. I don't know where they're going. Got to get to. They got something to do. They got to get to the Gansett Brewery. I don't know where they're going. They got to get to Whole Foods. They got to get to Snookers. I don't know. Snookers. But oh my they God. just it's like they don't care who lives or dies. They just gotta go and they gotta go now. They're in a hurry. That's the thing. Like I. I... I've been late for things. We've all been late for things, but, like, nothing is important enough to drive, I'm like, saying. a maniac. I don't I'm know. I'm, I'm a huge hypocrite, like, when I drive sometimes. Like, I'll be texting and driving. Um, my insurance company listening did not hear that. <laughs> and I, uh, I'll i see someone else texting and driving. I'll be like, look at that irresponsible asshole. <laughs> Fuck that. I do that, too, actually. Yeah, if someone, like, doesn't let me in and because they're on their phone, I'm like, what? What a fucking jerk off. You Meanwhile, I'm, like, scrolling Instagram, going, like, 80 Ooh, down. Like I that. don't do that. Yeah. What I do is uh, try to pick the right music. Uh, yeah, it's a problem for me too. So it is hard for me. I mean, not while I'm actively driving, but like I will at every every opportunity, I will like reach over and try to find the right thing. And I, as much as I hate driving in Rhode Island, Rhode Island traffic, um, I do love seeing people like having a really good time in their cars. Mm-hmm. You ever just see those people who are just like singing at the top of their lungs and it's just yeah. like, hell yeah, you're having yeah. a good time. I love that. They're in a teen movie. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I just listen to Spanish music in my car. It's great. 102.1. I love it. It's upbeat. I understand some of it, and uh, I feel good. When you get that beat coming in, 
from behind you. That do 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 do. That's great. That's like reggaeton stuff. That's reggaeton. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. It's great, and they have that horn. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, I want one of those just to carry around with me everywhere. Uh, well, we are at time, so. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for hearing me out, hearing Evan out, hearing Andy out. Uh, if you like what you hear, you support what we do, you want to hear more political criticism from us because it's coming, uh, <laughs> consider being a patron. Uh, we do our part for mutual aid by sending money that we get from Patreon to groups like the John Brown Gun Club who are coming up next. Uh, and, you know, it ends up being that we send we have two guests on per month so we send each one uh, about around $30 per month uh, and we make about $80 from the Patreon right now so you know most of the majority of that money goes directly to these mutual aids the rest of it goes towards trying to figure out this mess of audio equipment to bring the sound quality to you uh, I am also, this is an announcement here, working on the idea of a new project called the Rhode Island History Podcast, where I'm going to have historians on, talk about events and people in Rhode Island. It's going to be a mix between PLR Podcast and its own thing, so I'll, it'll have its separate stream, but when I do half episodes, they'll appear on the PLR thread. Uh, the first one coming up is with a very kind gentleman named Russ De Simone. He has a long history of Italian background in the city of Providence, and he is the living expert of the Providence Macaroni Riots that happened in 1914. So I will be talking to him next week about the Macaroni Riots. So if you want to learn something about socialist history in the city of Providence... You should definitely listen to that. Anybody else want to add anything to the conclusion? No, no. I don't think so. All right, here's the John Brown Gun Club. With us today is Winnie and Dustin of the John Brown Gun Club of Rhode Island, which has been engaged in mutual aid and outreach for our city for some time, uh, providing much needed uh, clothing and food and accessories for our neighbors who are unhoused. Uh, the Gun Club is an invaluable asset to Providence Left Action, and we are very excited to finally have y'all on the show today. We're super um, excited to be on. Uh, and so I thought we could just start this interview by asking the historical question, which is, how did the John Brown Gun Club form? So um, there was an organization for a long time in the left called Redneck Revolt. Uh, there were various John Brown Gun Clubs in various large cities around the country um, for well over a decade. But Redneck Revolt broke up, I believe, in 2018. So some of the gun clubs changed their name. Uh, we decided to keep the John Brown Gun Club name. Uh, we've been doing Distro, which is our weekly outreach, since uh, Thanksgiving 2017. So this is going to be our fourth winter. That's a long time, yeah. Awesome. And uh, what, so 
what we wanted to ask first, I guess, is what John Brown means particularly for you all. Like, why, why are you uh, invoking his name for what you do? Well, um, so historically speaking, you know, John Brown, uh, you know, led a slave revolt at Harper's Ferry, stole a bunch of arms and uh, armed a bunch of, uh, you know, people that were trying to, uh, you know, not be slaves and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty honorable cause. I think that uh, John Brown as an individual, uh, definitely uh, kind of a spicy guy uh, in terms of like the religious aspects of John Brown's beliefs. I think that we're all pretty much on the kind of more, uh, not necessarily religious end of the spectrum. It's just more kind of like a, uh, in terms of like the belief in the, 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 believing so much in his cause that he would like, you know, arm himself and defend his community and help his community to break free from, uh, you know, the, uh, the oppression that they're experiencing and, and the idea that he would go to chase just about any length in order to achieve that goal. He's a hard dude, so that's tight. <laughs> he so, doesn't talk about he doesn't talk about stuff. He is about stuff. Action, you know. So, so, so action is like a fundamental uh, uh, point that you're trying to invoke with John Brown, right? I would say so. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what do what do guns have to do with the the, the John Brown Gun Club? Uh, we're, we're, we're a bunch of gun nerds. We just think they're cool. We also believe that arming oppressed and marginalized people is important. Uh, the oppressors are armed. So we would like ourselves and other oppressed and marginalized people to be armed. Uh, like Dustin said, also we're gun nerds. So it's a fun bonding activity for us. And part of what we do uh, actually is we can do like one-on-one -on -one lessons with people we tend to prefer to do it you know with marginalized identities but we do like safety uh safety courses just general familiarization kind of stuff like um you know not i i've personally been um you know i've been shooting since i was like three or four my my we my my dad and and i like hunted like pretty much every week, at least sometimes every day during the summer or in, in situations where that was allowed, whether it be for like, you know, we, we had a pretty decent amount of land in upstate New York where I grew up. So, um, you know, firearms were just like a part of my day-to-day -day life. There were tools around the house. They were there to do different stuff. There was all kinds of different ones. Um, you know, I got my first 22 when I was like five for Christmas, my first 410 shotgun when I was six. And, uh, you know, shooting's just always kind of been a part of that in terms of like, you know, I didn't eat meat from a grocery store like regularly until I was like 15 and then decided like, this is messed up. I'm vegan now, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, hunting was always like a part of how we provided for our family and then target shooting and then just blowing stuff up in the backyard. Cause my dad's that kind of guy. Um, and, uh, I think it's, uh, a, a cool thing to have kind of in my back pocket that I, at least me personally, that I just felt like I couldn't talk about for a long time. 
because like I lived in Boston around a bunch of liberals that I felt like, you know, like I agree with like a lot of the stuff you guys are saying, but also like shooting guns is fun and cool. And I think that people can use that also in terms of like, you know, it, people that are not armed are also vulnerable to people that are armed and in situations where, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't, I always just had them around anyway. So it never really occurred to me that, you know, for until I came uh, east to the coast when I was not around people that were like as familiar or as like, just like, yeah, we got guns. Like, that's just what we do. We got shooting. Like, it's whatever. So being able to kind of use that information to help people now in this context and kind of spread that information to folks that maybe didn't have that access growing up and didn't and and have that interest but maybe are afraid due to whatever you know how they were raised or uh the media or whatever they have to say about firearms in general um i guess like my purpose and the club's purpose in that regard is to you know help our folks familiarize or help folks familiarize themselves if they're interested in that kind of thing um whether that be for recreation or for self-defense purposes or anything in between. Um, and uh, yeah, generally speaking, like I know that we all personally, like in, in, in our individual lives, like, you know, we're kind of like that, like for a lot of folks, I think that grew up in this area, you have like a cool uncle that lives up in New Hampshire. And then like twice a year you go up and shoot shotguns and you know, you don't really learn much of anything, but a lot of people didn't even have that. So um you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that we, uh, we have like, uh, I hope in the future to kind of push towards uh, a point where we have like actual, like range safety officer certifications and, and kind of push the limit, push, push further in terms of like credentials. But I think at this point we could all safely say that like, we're one of our main interests as, as people and as a group together is like just taking people out and showing you how stuff works and, you know, making it's it's making it not this spooky thing it's like okay this is how this works this is how you stay safe while we do it um and uh if you're interested in 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 going down this road we're, we're happy to kind of you know, tell you how gun stores work how do you get your blue card you know how do you learn how to do this stuff you know and make sure that people do so in like a, a safe and supported environment and make sure that people aren't afraid of like showing up to a range and not being welcome and not being not feeling like they're a part of that, that, um, you know, cause like, I feel like gun ranges have this, like, uh, um, this rap for being like chud central, you know what I mean? You're going to have like a bunch of like truck, truck ranty, like wrap around sunglasses guys talking about Donald Trump and all this crap when you go there. And honestly, that's not really the case. And I think that showing people that, you know, it is more accessible than one might realize and that it's actually like, you know, a pretty cool thing to get involved in, I think is like a big thing for me. Well, it's important that organizations for a while. <laughs> what was that? It's important that organizations like you guys and the, the Socialist Rifle um, Association and other leftist uh, firearm centered groups go out there and train people and uh, give people the means to defend themselves or the confidence to even pick up a gun and learn how to use it. And uh, there's a lot of misinformation on um, the reality of firearms out there, especially among people on the left wing of politics. Um, so you do a lot of firearms training for people. You do a lot of mutual aid for years. Um, 
is there any specific ideology that's prevalent inside of your organization or is this a mostly kind of we're all roughly on the same page let's do praxis and get out there and help people or is there a, a shared um, theory that you all hold uh, politically so we are a non-sectarian organization we have uh we have all all flavors of leftist identity uh anarchists we have tankies um the overarching theme and the the common thread that we all have is like you said just taking care of the community um in ways that the state has failed to do so and possibly will continue to fail to do so we just want to do what we can to protect protect the people that the state has forgotten about um that's why we help we help houseless folks you know we help people learn safe handling of firearms uh make it something enjoyable it's all sort of making survival accessible for everyone else yeah i i, I think that a lot of us uh that have been in the involved in the club for a while at various points um you know have access to a lot of resources whether that be like um you know uh you know uh what's the word i'm looking for uh the word that you used uh it was like something capital like social capital was that yeah the that you used? yeah, social yeah capital. so so like you know certain individuals in the club are like you know have a lot of friends whether that be like around here or online or out out in the, the the greater sphere of Instagram or whatever that may be some folks um have been involved in organizing in the area for a long time and and know a lot of individuals in the area that we can help network with and kind of figure out where need is and how we can help and what we can do to help support other people's causes and I think at the end of the day it's really quite simple for me like uh if i've got enough money to go drop a bunch of money on bullets and gun parts and stuff like i definitely have enough money to throw around to you know help feed people and house people and if i have enough time to go do this thing i have enough time to do other things too that might be you know a little bit more along the lines of like using my powers for good than it is like about like you know just having fun all the time you know yeah there's also a variety of skill sets in the club some of us are uh, like we have one member that has consistently written all of the op-eds that we've ever done um like some of the stuff he's written has been in been in uprise uh other online leftist publications um you know we've got we have project managers we have piercers we have uh box office managers you know we all we all bring a variety of skills and interests so i think we have a really well-rounded group um we also have two substance abuse counselors now in the club which is great uh it helps a lot with the outreach um sort of related to that uh the the uh, mutual aid and also the harm reduction aspects of what you do could you like i don't know how else to ask this question but like paint a picture, I guess, of a typical outreach night, like the, the process of getting together and, and how you go about doing what you do. So um, I'm actually like the uh, quartermaster, the keeper of all the supplies. Um, I load my car up around 6 p.m., uh, drive to downtown, everybody meets up. Um, we have a cart that we use to carry food. It allows us to carry 
uh, 20 or 25 meals at a time. We also hand out about 20 backpacks that contain like masks, hand sanitizer, body wipes, socks, uh, emergency blankets, things like that. We hand out safe injection kits and safe smoking kits, uh, both meth and crack. We want people to be able to be safe, you know, while they, while they cope. Um, so it usually takes us in a, lately because of the eviction moratorium expiring or being canceled uh, by the federal government, we've been helping about 30 or 40 people a night. So it takes us about 15 minutes to get cleaned out we spend anywhere between two and $300 a week on supplies uh, so that we can take care of that volume of people. And, and we, uh, we still end up being like coming up short sometimes just cause we like, we, we, we try to get as many people out to carry as much stuff. But like, if we, it, if we had more, we could give away more, but it's like, we gotta like, it's uh, it goes so fast some nights. Like it's like, we'll get to KP and it takes, five minutes and we're cleaned out. So, you know, we start around seven, we're done by seven 30 and on our way home, you know? It's yeah. Yeah. So we take the time to, you know, stop and talk to people. A lot of people want to have conversations that helps them feel seen and heard. Yeah. And, um, um, and then going into the winter, it's going to be even pricier, even though we, we possibly will help fewer people in the past during the winter. We've helped fewer people because uh, there are more shelters available when it's cold, but um, you know, considering the effects of the pandemic and everything, we think that this winter might be also super busy, but we, in the winter, we buy like blankets, hand warmers, hats, uh, hats and gloves, stuff like that. So that, that adds, that adds to the cost. So, um, even though distro itself is only half an hour a week, um, there's at least five or six hours a week that go into making the kits, um, checking inventory, Ordering supplies, ordering supplies, coming up with fundraising ideas, you know, um, and then coordinating everybody who's going to come that week. We, we have like a signal thread basically. And then, you know, it's like thumbs up if you're coming on Friday. And, you know, I think what's the, what's the, cause it's not all John Brown members. We also have some other like orgs that we work with. We do. Yeah. There's um, uh there's other mutual aid organizations in the city that we, that we help out. They help us out. They come along on distro with us, uh, Rhode Island socialists help a lot um bike squad yes there's uh the bike marshals uh they they come and help um just you know people in the community that want to help out uh we work with compassion kitchen and compassion coven uh we you know trade supplies give them you know any any kits that they need uh project hand up also gives us a lot of like food items um so we've kind of had had a lot of good luck building relationships with other organizations in the city that can help us and we can help them. And that's mutual aid. So, and then the, so that as far as like people with feet actually on the ground in the, uh, like how, what's our pool at with that signal thread now? Uh, I think there's like 24 people in the thread. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we need about six or seven people to handle all of the supplies. Ideally, um, a lot of distros, especially, last winter um it was tough to get people to come out because the weather was terrible the pandemic was still kind of new um a lot of a lot of weeks it was just two people going out to hand things out yeah so. yeah like three three tops and then and, and then in the winter because there's the people are people are more spread out and there's fewer people around um but 
you know, we have the stuff we want to go find people. So it, it, it like we're out in the cold for some, some of those nights we'd walked like two miles and we're out there for an hour and a half um, trying to just like hopefully run into people and, and help them when we could. And it turned out to be a really good thing a couple of times. Like, yeah. Yeah. We've come across yeah. people in the midst of an overdose. We've come across people that were so hungry. It was difficult for them to open their eyes. Um, they had, spent all day shivering and burning through their calories. And by the time we arrived, it was, I don't know. It, like we're, we're happy to be able to do things for people, but every week it's like this, this bittersweet feeling, you know, like we're, we're happy that we're there and that we can provide for people, but we hate that we have to, we hate that people have gotten so close to death. Uh, and it's only by just like pure luck that we show up when we do. Um, we hate that the need is so great. So. Hey guys, I'm Evan. Um, based on my own experiences, I just have a couple questions. Um, when I hear gun club, I'm from Louisiana and uh, several of my, I kind of grew up shooting in the backyard and stuff too. And um, a lot of people in my family belong to gun clubs, but they're like, they like go to gun shows and they're like very interested in like collecting guns. So they're gun nerds, but they're not so much the like responsible gun owners that you're trying to be or that you are rather. So um, that's what's in the back of my mind when I hear gun club. So how do you vet people, I guess, or like how do you not interact with like creepy chuds or whatever, just based on your name? I mean, because maybe people don't know who John Brown is. Maybe they're like, yeah, sounds like a cool guy. I don't know. Guns, guns are good. Well, there's also uh, always the confusion about John Brown because people think we're talking about Rhode Island John Brown, who was a slave owner and a terrible person. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so in order to, uh, you know, like we we absolutely love taking on new members. You know, it's few and far between. People are, people are pulled in a million different directions, you know, so we're a pretty tight-knit group, but... Um, we, I don't know, we're very, we're very open and flexible about who joins us. Like, as long as you've got, you know, the, the fire, you know, to help others, um, that's what we ask for. We also are all staunchly anti-gun control and anti-police. Uh, we don't talk to cops. <laughs> we don't believe in gun control laws. Um, that shit is so racist. But uh, so we, we usually take a couple, a couple of members, you know, we meet up with uh, anybody who's interested, kind of ask them, you know, like, why do you want to join us? And who do you think we are? Um, you know, and like, what do you expect to be doing? Like, what, what, where, how did you find us? You know, things like that. We call right. it the two on one. Yeah, 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 we call it the two on one. So it's, you know, just a couple of uh, club members and the, the interested party. And, you know, it, it's really helpful because sometimes people, uh, you know, we've had a couple of people that we've sat down and talked to that are like, you know, I want to, I want to help you guys figure out how to like hack government websites or, you know, like I just, you know, I really want to be part of like armed patrols or whatever. Mm. So we're like, no, we're not, we're That's... not, we're not about that. We also, you know, just declare, <laughs> there's also this uh, misconception sometimes it's been floating around for years. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, John DePetro hating us so much. Uh, we, we don't 
carry at actions. Like uh, only a couple of us can conceal carry, but we don't, we always ask organizers ahead of time, like, do you want us to have guns? And they usually say no. And we're absolutely fine with that. We don't need guns. Uh, we also, one of our favorite weapons is de-escalation. Like we're all really well versed in de-escalating. De and also the we all the, ca carry think, pepper gel. So that helps. Yeah. The, the, the first, I think, or maybe second, like training that we do is like de-escalation, like yep. out the gate, like first things first, squash it, squash it before it ever gets that far. We also know? do like some, some pretty uh, deep dive medical training. Um, you know, like how to use tourniquets, stop the bleed stuff, how to rinse pepper, pepper spray out of people's eyes. Um, you know, all, all kinds of things. We have uh, one member who's an EMT and a nurse. There's like three or four street medics. Um, you know, so CPR certified and first aid certified folks. Yeah. So if somebody came to us and they were like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm an EMT or like, I'm a doctor or something. Can I just come to actions with you with medical supplies? We would love that. Like you don't have to be involved in every part of the gun club to belong to the gun club. If you just want to do distro, you know, and that's, that's fine. If you just want to help with security at actions, uh, or you just want to do firearms education, like that's fine. We, you don't have to do everything. What about uh, when you're doing your food outreach stuff? I have had this experience doing food not bombs. Sometimes you're like, hey, bud, what's up? Are you hungry? Here's some food. And they're like, I'm not fucking hungry. Why would you assume that? And then Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we get that a lot. Um, the I think the, the typical um, transcript is like, hey, are you doing all right out here? Do you need like food or socks or water or anything? And sometimes they're like, no, fuck you uh sometimes they're like oh no but i'm i'm happy you're out here that's what usually happens yeah yeah they're, they're like <laughs> grateful to us for being out there feeding other people um there's also a lot of uh a lot of uh houseless folks downtown that are regulars that we've been seeing pretty much every day since 2017 that they'll take supplies for other people because they know they're going to come across a hungry person because they always do so they take an extra meal um people downtown are just like really watching each other's backs and that's that's also makes my my tiny little heart warm yeah it's it i, I think that it i don't know if that that same like template or game plan would work necessarily everywhere but it tends to work pretty well for us there's very very few times i can think of where anybody was like spicy or anything like there was one person uh, last winter who got really upset when we were like, do you need Narcan or clean needles or anything? Uh, she got real mad and said that we were enabling addiction. And then she spit right on me. It was <laughs> really gross. Um, yeah, that, that can be a little bit of a, a, a weird thing, uh, you know, where people will kind of have, have strange comments or like almost like, you know, while you're like going through the whole thing or just like, hey, just so you know, like if you know anybody that needs Narcan or anything like that, like we we, we can help you out with that as well. Um, not assuming like not literally not assuming that you're a drug user, like that's not what we're talking about right now. I'm just saying that we have this stuff if you know anybody that needs it. And people are like, oh, I don't fucking do that. I don't I'm not some drug addict dirt bag or whatever. I'm just like, I never said I never said that you were. I am simply suggesting that if this is helpful to you we have it <laughs> like, yeah we definitely try to steer people away from like 
being, 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 being upset about like we're you know in case you're an addict we're here to help you you know like it, it really uh from our perspective it, it, it really does come from an unjudgmental place like a lot of us have been addicts you know um most of us have lost someone to addiction so like we're definitely not out there trying to uh, proselytize and, and keep people from using drugs. You know, we just want to do what we can to make sure that they're safe, you know, clean needles, uh, alcohol swabs to clean off their, their pipes or whatever. Um, good tourniquets, stuff like that. Uh, Neosporin, you know, like, especially the Narcan though, like we try to explain to everybody, everybody should carry Narcan. Like it's Narcan isn't, isn't a drug. I feel like there's this big misinformation campaign. People, getting upset that you know oh narcan's free but chemo isn't or whatever which is bullshit it's like narcan narcan saves people's lives why are you mad at the addicts you should be <laughs> you should be mad at the people that make sure chemo isn't free uh yeah so there's there's a little bit of education that comes into play there too like explaining what narcan is um you know that it's literally just another tool to save someone's life and if you carry it around on you it you, gives that person a second chance, you know. Yeah, like, like you might be able to save someone's life. They're not alive. Life. They're not alive long enough to get off of drugs, you know. That's what they want to do. Whatever. You have any mental health services that you provide to these folks? Um, we we have like uh, a resource paper that we put into the backpacks and stuff, or like into different kits that we carry. Um, so in terms of that, there's like a. Uh, like a, like a list of like places to call and things like it's like a little card. We've got one, it's English and Spanish. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of like actual, like, you know, we, we'll, we'll like talk to people and be their buddies for a minute, make sure they feel like, you know, they're not being ignored and stuff like that. But I don't think any of us are really qualified to be like a mental health professional for these people. But um, at the end of the day, like, I think that, so much can be gained from just listening to people, not just like walking past somebody, handing them some stuff and dipping. It's just like, no, oh, how you doing, Lisa Marie? You know, I haven't seen you around for a little bit. You know, like you've been good. You'd find a place to stay. You know, like, oh, there's Dave over there. Let's go. Let's go chat with Dave. You need some nail clippers, man. I, we, we we remembered you asked for him last time. Here you go. You know, it's like more more like just being like a decent person and listening and, and, and taking requests and keeping track of stuff, listening to people talk about their kids, asking, you know, remembering stuff about them. And yeah, taking requests know. and then following through on the requests. It's amazing. The kind of connection that that can forge when somebody's like, Hey, next time you're here, like I could really use a clean t-shirt or like you guys should start carrying Q-tips like, okay. You know, and then we show up the next week with a t-shirt for this person or, now we're carrying and offering Q-tips as part of the toiletries, you know, like it makes people feel like we, we actually do care, you know, we're not out there to like, well, and it's, not, ourselves even, on the and, back and it's not even about appearances of looking like we care. We, you know, there's tons of people. There's so many people. That's why I love, love this group is because there's so many people out there, especially in this leftist sphere that gives so much more of a shit about looking like they're doing the right thing or acting like they're doing the right thing and a whole lot of not just going out there and being decent and just helping people and listening and being nice and just, you know, like that's why I think it took us so long to even come on here and do this because it just seems like a, 
like no, we don't do it for attention <laughs> like we don't do it because we we care who knows like we go there because because of dave and you know <laughs> like we want to make sure that dude has a blanket because i know that you know a lot of a lot of folks like they don't have access to clean stuff so they need a new blanket every week you know like it gets dirty and gross and they can't keep using the same one so you know you see the same person week after week and i don't know you know where everybody's gonna be and you know like Oh, cool. He got new guitar strings. Awesome. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I think, I think we all like, like, we all tend to like love talking about what we do because it's like, we're hoping that we can become a resource for other people. They can either join, they can join us. They can start their own. Like, we've had a couple of different club members that have, you know, left the club for lack of time, but they've started their own hot meal distro once a week or whatever. Like we talk about it because we're, we're hoping to create a bigger network to help more people, you know, like, but we, we blur our faces and tattoos and use fake names because like, we don't care about clout. We don't, we don't care if people know what we do, you know, like I'm, I'm sure that my face is recognizable, but I don't think people know I'm in the club, you know, like I don't, we just really want to, we want to be an open resource for people if they want to ask questions about, uh, you know, addiction or food outreach or gun safety or, you know, I don't know, pretty much anything. Yeah. So to that end, how could listeners get involved if they wanted to help you? Um, so usually we get like, uh, either like some, some people will like know specific individuals and reach out to them directly. Um, other folks will reach out to us through the website um the twitter uh, instagram we have a uh we we got zucked on instagram but we made a new one that doesn't have gun club in the name it's just jb mutual is yeah. it john brown mutual or it's jb mutual aid yeah because yeah, we mutual aid yeah we also wanted to be palatable to more people because it seems like people don't want to they no, don't want to help they we're think not we're not ignorant to the fact that the word gun club in our name gives people hang-ups yeah at the end of the day this that's who we are so we're not gonna drop it you know, so if we just do it as JB Mutual Aid, hopefully on the surface that makes it a little more palatable. But then also that you can trace it back and figure out who's, you know, because we, we actually um, had contact like this is just a thing that just came up. We got contacted by a specific individual to do support for a specific thing. Not going to you know, go any further, but there was like basically they asked us to do this support anonymously and not like wear club shirts and not like tell anybody who we were. Yeah, like, because some of the other organizers didn't want us there, so they were like, uh, "Can you just and, show and up and didn't, do, do and didn't security? want us there because we're a pro-gun organization." That right, was a specific right. reason. So, like, we're not okay with that. Yeah, we like, are, however, okay with like uh, delineating the two. You know, like the the gun part of our club is is different from the mutual aid part. Uh, sometimes, you know, especially the food distro. It's like we don't bring we don't bring guns. We're not armed <laughs> when we do that. Um, we you just know, like but, shooting together. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun hobby that we all share. But yeah, so we all, you know, we all got together a few months ago and when we were making a new Instagram decided it was it was probably best to separate the two so that it was easier to understand what it was that we were all about. You know, like we are kind of like two separate organizations under one big umbrella. There's there's the gun education, there's the security, the community defense, but then there's the mutual aid outreach part, you know, so they're like, two legs of the same person basically. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, so we're, we're not, we're not ignorant to the whole, the word gun club in our name gives people hangups, but we don't apologize for that either. 
it seems like though i mean as dustin uh hinted towards there are a lot of people in rhode island politics whether like liberal or left or whatever who uh talk a lot about mutual aid and harm reduction and are obviously all for it in spirit but there are very fewer people who are actively engaged in it um and and you all are very actively engaged in it but in order to be so requires not just social capital but actual capital right it requires money you need to be able to buy these things and so how can people who are not on the ground as you are help you financially so like we are we are absolutely of the mind that not everybody can show up not everybody can be boots on the ground some people need to be support they make flyers they donate money uh they're all necessary roles um so we do have a gofundme uh obviously the gofundme you know takes a little bit of a fee but it's really easy to donate there so people can do so um we have cash app we have venmo uh we also have an amazon wish list and if you don't want to give money to jeff bezos which is completely understandable uh you know you could buy cans of chef boyardee ravioli with a pop top and drop them off at one of our houses or whatever you know like people can give whatever whatever they can you know like nothing is too small we get somebody gave us like a dollar that they found downtown once and that was really exciting like a dollar is a can of ravioli that's great um also like you know specifically in order to like get access to the gofundme and stuff like that um I, I I have a link in my personal bio, um, and then I know that um, the Facebook situation, I share a lot on my own personal Facebook. Uh, Winnie shares on theirs a lot, um, but how else do we? We also have, I mean- We'll just I, like throw you guys the link or whatever. Yeah, and, and a lot of it's a uh, link for our website, which it's uh, Rhode Island John Brown Gun dot club, I think. Uh, if you just Google uh, RIJBGC, it'll come up. Uh, there's links to all of that and you'll be able to see photos of like some of the stuff we do uh we got photos going back i think to like 2016 or something so um yeah there's there's a lot of ways to give either money or time you know or just in-kind donations stuff you can get at stop and shop can we ask you some fun questions now yeah uh what is your favorite halloween character like like mythical vampire ghost or ghouls or i don't know okay so um <clears throat> i have a uh a now now many years annual tradition so this isn't exactly the answer to your question but it also is my favorite halloween character so i'm, I'm not backing down um so each year i have been an even sluttier cat and it gets like draggier and draggier each year, but I had to take the last two <laughs> Halloweens off. So this year, y'all, like, just wait. Like, this is about to get spicy. So slutty cat costume is my favorite Halloween character, especially when I'm wearing it. I think mine's probably the uh, the skeleton from the 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 doot doot meme. You know, a reanim reanimated skeletons. <laughs> That, that shit's great. This is reminding me of that song. Do you guys know it's like spooky, spooky, very spooky. What's that? It's a ghost. And it's like, uh, it's, like <laughs> it's a YouTube video. And I think it's for kids, but it's like spooky, spooky, very spooky. What's that? It's a vampire. It's so good. It's a banger. 
we might maybe we'll include the link to that video also in there. <laughs> uh, Favorite Halloween candy? Ooh, right. mm. Oh God, I love I love pretty much all candy. Uh, oh my God, how could I Reese's pumpkins? Of course, Ooh, obviously. Yeah, those slap. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, Mary Janes are pretty good. Um, I'm not a big big sweets person, but. So like if you want all my Skittles or like any of that, you can have it. Star it so you can have my Starburst. That's fine. <laughs> Except for the sour ones, I like the orange ones. Those are good. Oh, yo, you know what bang is Twix. Twix is so good. Do you like? Uh, do you prefer pancakes or waffles? Mm, waffles. Oh my god, no, I love pancakes. I love when they've just soaked up the the like entire stick of butter I just put on them. Mm -hmm. You know, put a little bit of syrup on there, and then it's oh, it's so good. Like I make more pancakes at home because I like don't like kitchen gadgets, so I refuse to buy a waffle iron. Uh, but uh, yeah, like if I'm out like buying breakfast and I have to choose one or the other, wa waffles every single time. Blueberry waffles probably, if I could, you know, really get specific. Yeah, one of us is healthy and the other one isn't, obviously. <laughs> uh, so. I understand that not everybody likes Gatorade, but what's your go-to Gatorade color? Orange. Uh, lemon lime for me. Uh, I am type one diabetic and uh, my mom used to keep it around for when I got low blood sugars when I was like six or seven, you know? So like, I remember not feeling good and then having a lemon lime Gatorade and suddenly feeling better. So like, I still always have that on me. Like there's always a lemon lime Gatorade in my backpack or in my kitchen or just like nestled in between my couch cushions. It's just everywhere. <laughs> I yeah. also like lemon lime. Uh, oranges go to every time that orange for sure. I don't really, I don't even deviate. Oh, yeah. Orange is a thing. Yeah. It's good. Really? Yeah. Oh. It kind of tastes like popsicles. The orange yeah. definitely tastes more like other foods, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll tolerate fruit punch, but every other flavor I'm like kind of not about. If you could pick your own nickname, what would it be? I'm really, I don't know. Uh, so, okay, I guess the only nickname that I can even think of that anybody called me other than my actual name uh, is I lived in this punk house in Binghamton, New York for a long time, and I when I first started piercing all my mentors also did like heavier body modification kind of stuff. So like, I know how to like suture stuff up and patch people up and junk like that. So, uh, the owner of the, the house, uh, that also lived in the house. Um, he always called me doc because I was like the hood doctor basically. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I cut myself skateboarding. I did this. I did that. You know, I'd have all the supplies in my literally in my bedroom, put people on an air mattress and <laughs> down and get them all fixed up. So doc, I guess. What about you, Winnie? I, uh, well, first of all, Winnie is kind of a nickname, but I also get a kick out of when, uh, people call me Florida man sometimes because of the uh, really stupid Florida? shit that I end up doing. <laughs> so then they're also like, also from Florida. Yeah. Also I'm from Florida, but they're like, yeah, Florida man over here. <laughs> all right. I got a firearms related question. Sick. What do you say to people who are leftists that go after the left aesthetic of buying like Mosinagats and um, old Cold War era firearms? Are they wasting their time? Is that actually? No, man, whatever makes you happy, whatever you have fun with, you know, like I, I, mean, 
I just recently bought a gun that is is a meme. It's a, a Grand Power Strybog. People make fun of the name all the time, but it's, it's, it's a sick-ass so, gun, so, so I bought it. It's so fun to shoot. It's so fun to shoot. <laughs> it sounds like um, a gun from, like, Die Hard or something like that. So what I what I would have to say, it kind of depends on, like, what the purpose of that Mosin Nagant is. So, like, if you're just a dork and want to, like, clean Cosmoline off a barrel and, like, custom fit an old stock and just know that that's, like, an obsolete firearm and is pretty much useless for self-protection and is only cool because it's cool, then tight. But to be, like, one of those people that's, like, oh, an SKS is just as good as an AR, like, for home defense, I'm, like, you're wrong. Like, that's objectively untrue, you know. Um, but they're cool. I think they're neat. Yeah, people should be able to, to to buy and use and love whatever they're comfortable with. You yeah. know, like we're—I don't know—I've got a—I got a pretty wide range of uh, like an AR-15 from Vietnam, you know, and shit like that. So we've all got all got varied tastes. It's all valid. Yeah, and it's yeah I got fun. like a Gucci AR pistol, and then I also have like a lever action rifle that shoots 44 magnum with a m-lock handguard and a flashlight and a red dot optic on it on a picatinny rail because it's hilarious that's insane yeah that's hilarious yeah yeah tactical lever gat canada legal baby how do you guys feel about 3d printed guns Ooh, this is a tough one uh, all right. So um, for le for legal purposes, for legal uh, this, purposes, this is a joke. But I think that you know, ghost guns are uh, should be a perfectly valid thing to do. You know, like why does something have to be serialized? I, I don't get it. I think um, it's neat. I think I think it's neat. Um, I think that also I have a hard policy with myself regarding firearms that like. I, I don't want to get caught up in any legal stuff that's going to get in the way of me being able to participate in a hobby that I really like and like a thing that I think is important for being a just comfortable person, a prepared person, so to speak. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I'm kind of like I, I, I stay away from hot guns and, and, and I stay away from stuff that like is in like questionable legal territory. But in in theory, I think that 3d printed firearms are like really cool like <laughs> like like it's neat that people do that i follow a couple instagram accounts just to see what they're up to and um you know that whole thing with uh jay stark on popular or was it popular Fine that he did that thing yeah yeah i don't know yeah yeah like i <clears throat> i tend to politically agree with that guy but personally i wouldn't go down that road just because it is i don't want to I don't want to lose a access to firearms in general and or b end up in prison yeah and that is something that maybe we should uh verbalize is that we all especially in regards to firearms we operate within the law because we don't we don't think that this thing that that we love so much should ever stand in the way of us being able to help the community we don't ever want to draw extra attention to organizers from the state just because the organizer decides to bring us in you know so we do abide by uh, traffic laws when we're doing vehicle support for marches. We abide by firearms laws. You know, there's a new law going into effect, or it went into effect, I think, like 10 days ago. Uh, no more pistol braces. The Biden administration decided that banning pistol braces, uh, which were invented and designed for helping handicapped people, uh, you know, should now be illegal. So, like, a lot of us, you know, had to grieve and then take our pistol braces off because we we don't want to do anything that could compromise our ability to help the community. 
Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, most of us like ideologically aren't legalists. It's just the fact of the matter is, is, you know, we got to operate within the confines of something that'll allow us to be able to do what we can. So, um, insofar as we can tell the line of that sure thing. Yeah. Let's play this game. That's a fun one. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the thing about gun nerds too, is that they're like, when whenever like these types of legislation go through it's never being passed by people that know anything about that thing but then the people that they're trying to regulate know like basically everything about that thing so really all it does is encourage engineering loopholes and workarounds in order to for a bunch of people that are already basically engineering nerds to you know come up with new inventive solutions to circumvent these ridiculous and kind of unnecessary regulations in the first place so it's a it's a it's a silly runaround and a waste of time, really. It's a valid observation. Does the slutty cat have a name, or do we just call them slutty cat? Uh, so slutty cat is part of my like uh my like I don't know how to I call her Lindsay. She lives within me. Ooh. Yeah, she she she's like she's like shows up late with her Starbucks and gym clothes to an appointment with their tiny dog. That sounds exactly like you actually. And gym clothes, yeah. <laughs> Like I get, I get, I get like, I get like turned up on uh, pumpkin spice latte and go drop like 300 bucks at Lululemon, you know, like definitely done that. hundred percent. I've done that. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that tiny dog is amazing. That little face. I just want to, I want to boop that snoot. Alex, you, you met small Jeff, right? Yeah. 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 You want to talk about small, small dogs, small, small Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. Small is in his name. It's his first name. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize he had a first and last name. I didn't know that small was. Well, no, I guess it's 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 a it's hyphenated. Well, it's not hyphenated. You you just have to say the whole thing. Small Jeff. It's like you, you know. Um, thank you, like you for coming on. Do one of you want to introduce the musical guests that you recommended? Who I I have been in contact with, but if one of you wants to introduce them. Oh sure. Uh, so. Uh, we wanted to play a local band that's been around doing cool stuff. I, I'm buddies with um, uh, one of the the members and have ma made friends at shows with a couple other of, of their other members. Uh, but yeah, they're called Dreamwell and they're really good. 